Well, if you were paying attention to the news this week, you know that one of the items uh, that came up was that San Diego was taken off of the state's watch list when it comes to COVID. Now, what exactly that means, no one is really sure, except that our caseload is going down, and that's a good thing. And people are asking questions, well, what does, what does that mean for schools? What does it mean for the church? Can we go back to worship, or can we begin worshiping? And, and I think there's just still a lot of questions around that. What I do want you to know, that as we move into the month of September, we want to begin offering some on-campus opportunities uh, for people to come and study, for people to come and be together. Uh, we're even talking about possibly doing a weekend Vesper service, an evening Vesper service. Uh, that would just be a very simple gathering to worship a little bit and to be reminded of God's goodness and grace. And so I encourage you to just uh, stay tuned for, for more details. We'll be sure and share those with you, with you as we figure those things out and pray for us as well as we sort through what all this means for the church moving into the future. Also, you had an opportunity earlier today uh, to hear from Maria and her passion for her students. And, and I want to encourage you. I mean, one of the great ways that we can participate in the mission of the church and participate in serving our community is this drive-through opportunity we have uh, coming up on Saturday, August 29th from 10 to 12. As we collect school supplies, we recognize that a number of our students um, who aren't even able to go back to school, but they still don't have the supplies that they need, even if they are learning from home. And so we want to be able uh, to help out with that. We'll be working with uh, Maria's students at, at Gage Elementary, but also working with our mission partners, uh, Urban Life in City Heights and Ebenezer Church in Linda Vista. And uh, we want to be able to help those students as well. So I hope to see you on Saturday. I don't know. Um, I've spent a lot of a lot of my life studying scripture. I've spent a lot of my years going to seminary and, and reading through the Bible. And I don't know about you, but there are just some kind of strange stories in scripture. Uh, we, we look at Second Kings chapter 2 and, and the story of Elisha. You may remember this. Elisha's walking, making his way to Bethel. And all of a sudden, some young boys come out and start calling him names and calling him Baldy because I guess he had a lot less hair than me and, and making fun of him. And, and he throws a curse out, if you remember this. And some bears come roaming in out of the forest and they maul the boys. They don't kill them, but they maul the boys. It's just a weird story. Joshua's fighting a battle and, and, and the sun stands still so that Joshua can continue to fight. There's the story of Balaam and his talking donkey, which is just another weird thing that God uses a donkey to talk to Balaam. You get to Acts in the New Testament. There's the story of Eutychus in chapter 20 of Acts, who's listening to the apostle Paul preach and he's sitting in an upper window and, and he falls asleep and he falls out of the window and he dies. And Paul raises him back. And, and I'm telling you, just some strange things in scripture that don't always make sense. Well, in Jeremiah, there's also a strange story. And, and you know, I, I think it's sometimes fun to take on these stories that, that just seem so obscure and, and we're not really certain why exactly they're in the canon of Scripture. And this morning we're going to take a look at one of these stories. It's the story of the Rechabites and the way in which they testify to what it looks like to live a life of integrity and what it looks like to live a life of obedience. And so we're going to be in Jeremiah chapter 35. Uh, verses 1 through 11. Um, I'm guessing that most of you have never heard of the Rechabites before. Maybe you've done a study of scripture, but um, there's not much known about them. We'll talk a little bit more about that later. But listen now for God's word. This is Jeremiah chapter 35. We're going to read the first 11 verses. We'll come back and 
pick up verses 12 through 16 in a little bit. Also, uh, full disclosure here, there's a lot of names that I'm not quite sure how to pronounce. So my Hebrew skills are not that great. So I hope you just apologize in advance uh, for messing up the names. But the names aren't really what's key in this story. It's the behavior of the Rechabites. So listen now for God's word. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord during the reign of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, the king of Judah. Go to the Rechabite family and invite them to come to one of the side rooms of the house of the Lord, the temple, and give them wine to drink. So I went to get Jazaniah, the son of Jeremiah, the son of Hababazaniah, and his brother and all of his sons, the whole family of the Rechabites. I brought them into the house of the Lord, into the room of the sons of Hanan, the son of Igdaliah, the man of God. It was next to the room of the officials, which was over that of Masayah, the son of Shalom, the doorkeeper. Then I set bowls full of wine and some cups before the Rechabites and said to them, drink some wine. But they replied, we do not drink wine. Because our forefather, Jehonadab, the son of Rechab, gave us this command. Neither you nor your descendants must ever drink wine. Also, you must never build houses, sow seed, or plant vineyards. You must never have any of these things, but always live in tents. Then you will live a long time in the land where you are nomads. We have obeyed everything our forefather Jehonadab, the son of Rechab, commanded us. Neither we, nor our wives, nor our sons and daughters have ever drunk wine or built houses to live in, or had vineyards, fields, or crops. We have lived in tents, and have fully obeyed everything our forefather Jehonadab commanded of us. But when Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, invaded this land, we said, Come, we must go to Jerusalem to escape the Babylonian and the Aramean armies. So we have remained in Jerusalem. So what do we know about the Rechabites? Well, we read about them way back in Second Kings uh, chapter 10, actually, They're, the king at that time was a guy named Yehu. He was going out and he was wiping out the Baal worshipers. This is right after uh, Ahab and Jezebel had both died. And Yehu was trying to bring restoration to the nation of Israel. And he enlisted what we now know as the Rechabites to help with that, with Jehonab- Jehonadab, who we were just talking about. And they became nomadic people. They never really became a part of the community of Israel. But as they reread in our story this morning, they became nomads. They wandered the land. Some suggest that they were metal workers. And regardless of whatever it was that they did, they set up their shop or their wares outside of a community and basically worked there for a while and then moved on to the next community. And as we read, they eventually made their way down to Jerusalem because of the constant warfare that was going on around them. So they've basically now moved into the city of Jerusalem as all this turmoil and all this trouble is happening around them. They at least feel like they are somewhat safe in Jerusalem. They really don't want to settle down there. You can imagine that. They probably were not overly welcome. They certainly stuck out. They, they were not a part of that community. But nonetheless... That is where they are. And so God says to Jeremiah, here's what I want you to do. I want you to invite them to the temple courtyard, to one of the side rooms of the temple. And I want you to offer them wine to drink. 
Now, this seems to me a very strange request because it's probably known already that the Rechabites don't drink wine. And so what we discover, though, is that, that, that there was the, the temple, which we know about, but there also had to be offices and perhaps different rooms that were, that were off of the main temple where people gathered. And so Jeremiah says to the Rechabites, I want to invite you to join me in one of these offices where, and it's, it's a public setting. And we, there, I think part of the reason we have these difficult names is because we're being told by Jeremiah that there were significant people that were around this event. And so the Rechabites come and they sit down and all of a sudden they're now honored because they really don't fit. They really don't belong at the temple, but Jeremiah has invited them in. And I like to think there's a crowd gathered around watching to see what's going to happen. It's the same sort of thing that happened with Jesus. You may recall that oftentimes in the ministry of Jesus, he's, he's working with people, he's talking to people, he's eating with tax collectors, he's eating with prostitutes, and the religious leaders, as, as Jesus is sitting there saying, why is he with these people? He gathers them around a table in order to help make a point, in order to help remind us that Jesus did not come to save those who are well, but to save those who were sick, that he is the great physician. And in very much the same way, God is using Jeremiah to teach the people of Judah a lesson. And so the Rechabites are invited in. And it's not like Jeremiah offers them just a glass of wine. He offers them basically a punch bowl full of wine. Matt, the word Hebrew were there. These are big bowls of wine, placed in front of the Rechabites. And what are they going to do? Because now the crowd is watching them. And they might be thinking to themselves, perhaps if we drink some of this wine, perhaps if we go back on the word of what Jehonadab commanded us some 250 years ago, we might be brought into this community. We might be able to be a part of the crowd. And we always have to look out for the crowd in the gospels. Oftentimes the crowd is seen as distracting from the goal of Jesus. They're seen as getting in the way of the mission of Jesus. Soren Kierkegaard said, wherever there is a crowd, there's great untruth. Wherever there's a crowd, it's hard to find truth. Because we so often just want to go in whatever direction the crowd is going in. We see that in Jesus when he enters into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. And the crowd's going crazy and they're so happy that Jesus is there. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then some five days later, that same crowd is shouting, crucify him. With big crowds comes untruth. And now everyone's looking at the Rechabites. What will they do? And they say, we don't drink wine. We follow the vows that our great, 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 however many greats that is, grandfather made of saying, we will not drink. We will be a wandering people. And they hold true to what they have always said they were to be about. And then Jeremiah says to the people of Judah, 
who he's constantly talking to, constantly trying to get them to change their ways. He says to them, there's a lesson to be learned here. And so now we read verses 12 through 16 of Jeremiah 35. This is the rest of the story. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah saying, this is what the Lord almighty, the God of Israel says, go and tell the people of Judah. Here we go. And those living in Jerusalem, will you not learn a lesson and obey my words declares the Lord. Jehonadab, the son of Rechab, ordered his descendants not to drink wine, and this command has been kept. To this day they do not drink wine, because they obey their fathers, their forefathers' command. But I have spoken to you again and again, yet you have not obeyed me. Again and again I sent all my servants, the prophets, to you. They said, Each of you must turn from your wicked ways and reform your actions. Do not follow other gods and serve them. Then you will live in the land I have given to you and your ancestors, but you have not paid attention or listened to me. The descendants of Jehonadab, the son of Rechab, have carried out the command their forefather gave them, but these people have not obeyed me. God is absolutely confounded by how it is possible for the Rechabites to follow the commands, the directives of this ancient ancestor who is long gone. And yet the people of Judah cannot follow the guidance and the direction given by God, the God who had redeemed them, the God who had saved them, the God who is still with them, the God who sent prophets to remind them. They simply would not be obedient they could not integrate the faith that God wanted them to have into the very fabric of their lives. The Rechabites somehow had been able to do that. But the people of Judah seemed unable to do that. This was the lesson for Judah. But we also have to think, what is the lesson for us? What's the lesson for you? What's the lesson for me? Because this text in scripture, though it's a little bit odd, and though it seems a little strange that Jeremiah is trying to get these people to drink wine, it's really saying, are you going to be true to who you say you are? And for us as followers of Jesus, I think there is this question about integrity. Do our words and our actions match up with what we say we believe? Has the faith that we profess made its way into the very fabric of our lives? And I admit, I mess it up, you mess it up, we know that. But what God wants is a life that is fully integrated, where he is fully integrated into our lives. But the problem is this, the crowd can get in the way. The untruth that around is around us can get in the way. There are other voices that compete. We want to be a part of the crowd. And we turn our backs on that which we hold most dear. 
That's what was happening in Judah. That's the danger for us. We need to be people of integrity. We need to be people who live lives of obedience. And the question then becomes, well, how exactly do we do that? What is it that we need to be about? And I think it, it comes down, it, it's, it's not a brand new concept that I'm going to share here, but we have to remember on a regular basis who Jesus is, who he has called us to be, what it means to be a follower of his. And the best way that, that I can think about doing this, it, it comes back to a scripture in Matthew chapter 11. And it's a scripture I love, and I particularly love the way that Eugene Peterson translates it in the message. And I want to read that, and I've read this before. And to me, when I start thinking about what does it look like to follow Jesus, what does it look like to, to have this life of integrity, I keep coming back to Matthew chapter 11. And so here's what it says, verse 28 through 30. Are you tired and worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me. And you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Walk with me and work with me. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Jesus says, come to me. And I think what we have to remember, if we're going to live this integrated life, if we're going to live this life of obedience, we have to daily come to Jesus. To sit before him. To listen for his voice. It's the story of Martha when her brother Lazarus had died and, and Jesus shows up and Martha goes out to Jesus and sits at his feet. Come to me, Jesus says. All you who are tired, all you who are weary, all of you who need rest, come and be with me. And I need that reminder. I need to be able to sit with Jesus and to learn from him. Because that's what he says. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Uh, in our typical translation it says. Take my yoke. And in and, and the translation. The understanding of the days of Jesus. The yoke was actually the law of God. And people saw it as being that which was cumbersome. And that which pushed them down. But Jesus was saying. The yoke that I offer you. The life that I offer you. We're going to share in that together. Work with me. Walk with me. Learn the unforced rhythm of grace. I won't fit or lay anything on you that is heavy or ill-fitting. And Jesus is saying, come to me. And let's work on this together. Let's walk through life together. It's about being a disciple. And as I was reading this text, it was such a, a great affirmation for me because this fall we're going to be, as we move into the middle part of September, we're going to start taking up, or we're going to take up a new sermon series around this idea of disciples. What does it mean? I mean, we use this word, and it's a word that not everyone fully understands. But, but what does it look like 
to not just be a disciple, but to be discipled by Jesus. To go with him and to find rest. He didn't say he's going to save us, which we know he has saved us. But he says, I want to be with you. I want to help you be obedient as you follow me. So the interesting thing that happens with the Rechabites is actually in verses 18 and 19. And I want to close today uh, using these two verses because I think it's a great affirmation of what happens when we're faithful, when we're obedient. So this is Jeremiah 35, 18. Then Jeremiah said to the family of the Rechabites, this is what the Lord almighty, the God of Israel says, you have obeyed the command of your forefather, Jehonadab and have followed all his instructions and have done everything he ordered. Therefore, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Jehonadab, the son of Rechab, will never fail to have a descendant to serve me. Will never fail to have a a descendant who will serve me. What a great and incredible gift. Because what God is saying here is saying, when you are faithful, even in the small stuff, you'll get to be with me. And the promise we have in Jesus is that he wants to walk through life with us as well. And so let's learn from the Rechabites. Let's learn about obedience. Let's learn about discipline. Let's learn about integrity. And let's pray and ask God to fill our lives in such a way that we live out our faith in an obedient sort of way. Pray with me, please. God, thanks for today. Thanks for your love and your grace. Thanks that you call us to be people of obedience. And Lord, we acknowledge we messed that up. We don't live the life of integrity that we long to live. And so we're grateful for your forgiveness. But Lord, help us to be committed to meeting with Jesus. To come to him. To sit before him. To learn the unforced rhythms of grace. God, let us hear his voice in the midst of the crowd and let us look to him, the one who is Alpha and Omega, beginning and end. We pray and ask in his name. Amen.